Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down. She's talking from the skies and sending lots of feel good sounds. Oh, Betty in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Jets. She's weird and wonderful Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen She's wearing high heel shoes Got her wings on, too You know I've never seen a better stew oh. Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. The music for this episode, I was on a nice two-day layover in Brussels, Belgium, and there were some street performers, three guys on a corner, and I enjoyed it. So that's the music for this episode. And in this episode, we've got a wide range of stories. We've got a dwarf story. We've got an astronaut story. We've got a fighter pilot story. Uh, lots of flight attendant stories in there. And then at the end of the episode, a very touching story about a flying eye hospital. Let's get on with the show. There's a lady on my flight one time, and we we're going to London, and the smoke alarm was going off, oh, yeah. and the Purser said, you, "Because you're female, you, I know it's a woman in there. You you go in there in the bathroom. Yeah, into the bathroom." And I'm like, "No, I don't want to. I don't want to do it. No, you like that too. No, no, <laughs> no, no." So we unlocked the door yeah. in our special flight attendant way. Right. And uh, there's a little old woman sitting on the toilet, and she's got a cigarette, and she's going, "I only took two puffs." <laughs> what did she say? I I only took two puffs. All right, this must have been the uh, mid-90s. I was the coordinator on an L-1011. We were going from Atlanta to San Juan, Puerto Rico, obviously. And about halfway through the flight, I was walking through C-Zone, and this lady stops me. And she's like, sir, I, you know, I think the captain's trying to poison me. And, you know, he's, put, he's poisoned my food. He's, you know, put the poison, captain. the captain, poisoning me poison the air and they in, in the you know in the cabin well of course stifling my laugh I just kind of reassured her that that was not the case and everything is fine you know you ate your food and you're, you're, you're doing well everyone's living on the plane just basically tried to reassure her. and when we got to San Juan I kind of told the red coat who met the flight he said oh yeah, we have her on the flight every week, so it's no big deal. She does that every week. So, so every every captain's out to get her? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but she, 
you know, foils them all by going on living and ordering pizza in 25C. So I've been doing this podcast for a long time, and you, you know, there's themes. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of puking stories. Lately, there's a whole bunch of ambient people taking their clothes off stories. That's been a big trend. But the one trend I think is really weird is that I think in the last year, I've had four stories where passengers have thought that a crew member, either a flight attendant or a pilot, was poisoning them. Where in the world is this coming from? How in the world can there be so many stories about that? I mean, why would any passenger think a crew member would want to poison them? I mean, what's the upside for us? You know, like, do we get your insurance money? (laughs) What, just so we can serve one less passenger? Like, I just don't, I don't understand where the thinking behind the crazy thoughts that a crew member could be poisoning you comes from. So I was uh, boarding an airplane. Um, I was like holding a tray of champagne and orange juice in business class. I was on one aisle and on the other aisle, I could see a nicely dressed woman say to the other flight attendant on the other aisle, you know, I'm too short to put my bag in the overhead bin. Will you, will you put it up for me? And I'm looking, I, well, I notice everything, but I'm, I'm looking at this thinking, the flight attendant she's asking to put her bag in the overhead bin is shorter than she is. <laughs> like, so, so that argument is, is absolutely no good. And so we get to the galley with the other flight attendant. I'm like, you're shorter than, than she was. And she's saying she's too short to put her bag in the overhead bin. And the other flight attendant's just, you know, rolling her eyes. Because so often you want to say something, but you don't. Because, you know, it's a, we're in the public service job. And we're there to make the customers happy. So you're not going to say, uh, hey, lady, I'm shorter than you. So put your own darn bag up in the overhead bin. <laughs> but this next story, I love this next story. It's about, it's from... The Dr. Drew podcast. He, you know, the Dr. Drew from uh, Loveline and Adam Carolla. Uh, he's all over. He's got his own shows on HLN. Anyway, he's got his own podcast now, and I really enjoy it. And one of his episodes, I think it's episode 10 of the Dr. Drew podcast, he had on Brad Williams, who is a really funny comedian who is a person of short stature. He has dwarfism. And, uh, This is a clip that I loved about him and his overhead bin experiences. Brad Williams, you can find him at bradwilliamscomedy.com if you want tour dates or whatever. He's really good. It's difficult. That, like, the road trumps dwarfism in terms of being a difficulty for relationships. Yeah. Because you're gone three, four days a week, home three, four days a week, and then... Uh, you know, the girl will eventually say, like, but I want you to spend more time with me. It's like, yeah, but I want to pay for my mortgage. Does, you know, <laughs> right. And, and travel is enough of a challenge for everybody. Mm-hmm. Do you have special, ch- I, this is like my own personal question. Because yeah, I, 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 I've traveled a bunch. And sure. Like, drives me insane. Yeah. And I, I would imagine if I had any <laughs> issue more I had to deal with, I think I'd jump off a cliff. You know what? I don't really have issues. I mean, whenever I board the plane, uh, they always ask me if they if I need help getting my bag up in the overhead storage bin. I don't. I have this ingenious thing where I throw down both armrests, I hop on top of the armrests, reach down, grab my bag, and in really just one swoop, just fling it up into the 
over at Storage Oh, I did a video of this. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's, a, it's a commercial. Every time I do it... Uh, it's like a slow clap. Yeah, just like, <laughs> yeah! Flight attendants are always like, oh, well, I was not expecting that! Because then, and then you have other people on the flight fee- feeling guilty, like the 22-year-old blonde is just like, I need help with my bag. Yeah, yeah. Really? Because the midget just did it by himself. And you guys, yeah, look... look. <laughs> I think part of the reason our control room is laughing is you hear the shit the Corolla complains about all the time traveling, right? Well, Brad, Brad doesn't complain. <laughs> See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? But then uh, I'm, I'm, I've hung out with Adam enough where I know he would come back with, well, but every seat is a first-class seat to this guy. He, he's got plenty of room. Which, by the way, true. It's a Doctor podcast, and uh, I'm here with Brad Williams, and uh, stunningly, stunningly, the great Adam Carolla just walked in the room casually How are you, with sir? a smirk wow. on his face. Wow. <laughs> That's it. The, your there name you came up just 10 minutes ago also. He, we were talking about traveling. I was saying, geez, like, traveling's already tough enough. Do you, have, you know, what's it like to travel with a little extra, you know, a little extra something, something you got to deal with? Mm-hmm. And he proceeded to tell a story about how he's able to put his shit in the overhead bin by basically doing like a half gainer. Off the, off the. <laughs> oh chair. really? Yeah. yeah. I never thought about the overhead yeah. bin. Yeah, I, I just throw two armrests down, hop, hop on, grab my bag, and in one motion, just throw it up in the oh, overhead bin. Oh yeah, you do like uh, it's 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 the Highland Games for <laughs> yeah, little people. Destroy the caber. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> caber. So nerdy of you to know that. But That's listen, good. as I said, you know, every seat is first class. What did Brad, I say? What every did I seat. say? His comeback was going to be every seat. Ah, no, but seriously, I, I had it. <laughs> Yes. At, As you last said. Last time I flew, I was up in the back, the very back. The seat did not recline because right. it's the very back one, which mm-hmm. should be outlawed by design, or sure. you should get another 20 bucks off your ticket or whatever it is. Because yeah. you're sitting in the non-recline seat, and what you don't realize, there's a ballet of reclining going on, which is if your seat is reclined and then the guy then the guy behind you reclines his seat, it's like slow-motion, stupid Southwest dominoes yeah. where you see them all go back. Now, and, everyone, and everyone now has apparently the same amount of space. Equal right. space the guy yeah. in front of you, if he reclines and you can't recline... You're, you're just giving him a shave. <laughs> I mean, like, literally putting a hot towel on his face, smoking a cigar. There you talking go. about the Brooklyn the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I said, that, 22 Skidoo. Jackie Robinson looks no. like he's going to be a good, 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 good One player. One talented Negro. <laughs> Not that I'm Ford or anything. <laughs> but so now he's reclined. But I'm saying Brad never doesn't have that. Well, what's he? No. My knees are pressed against the seat in yeah. front of me the entire well, he, he, here's what I have. I have the fact that when my legs just dangle, because they do, they don't touch the ground in the seats, they fall asleep. So I have oh, to, so I have to sh- shove them up against the seat in front of me to, oh, to, to make sure oh. they don't fall so, asleep. Yeah. That's that's that, don't, don't sit in front of a door. Yeah, that's what that, that means. kicks the seat in front of me. The guy mm. stands up like I'm gonna mess you up, then sees me and goes, oh, God beat me to it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody ever given you shit about that? Uh, it, it's happened so many times where they turn around like about to and then see me and like, oh, this is probably gonna look bad. So this flight attendant was telling me that there was this well-dressed, very Southern, really put together, you know, like, have you ever seen those people that are wearing like matching outfits? It's like an ivory coat, an ivory hat, ivory pants, ivory shoes. I mean, really putting it on thick. And she said that this woman called her over and said, um, what's your name? And she said, Brenda. And she said, listen, Brenda. 
If you bring me a gin and tonic, I'll write you a letter. But if you bring me a double, I'll make your letter better. <laughs> if you bring me a double, I'll make your letter better. <laughs> 1982, I was flying that F-4 Phantom out of Keflavik, Iceland. F-4 our, Phantom. Yes. Yeah, we did the air defense mission. Our job was to defend the little island of Iceland from really? the Russians back in the Cold War. Wow. Yeah, and they would occasionally make faint attacks on uh, Russia, or on uh, Keflavik or Reykjavik uh, with their bombers. So they had three different types of bombers. Bears, bisons, and badgers were the code names for them. Can I say those again? Bears? A bear or a bison or a badger for the three bombers they had. Yeah. Uh, all their uh, bombers, we would give them the letter B, so it made it easier for us to remember. So we were scrambled to intercept uh, a formation of... Badgers, bison, and bears? Yes, bears, badgers, and bison. Oh my. <laughs> no, I have to back up a little bit. This was the uh, very soon months after, and I might not have the dates just right, uh, when the... Russians shot down a Korean Airlines airliner yeah. uh, near Korea, and uh, so there's a lot of tension going on uh, over that. And so, anyway, we were scrambled to intercept these uh, bear aircraft. They were flying about 30,000 feet. They were huge aircraft, four engines on each wing with counter-rotating props, uh, turbine props. So um, they were making their run towards Iceland, and usually what happened is we'd show up and they we'd kind of get in front of them and they'd turn and go off somewhere. We didn't actually, we didn't actually come fisticuffs okay. or engage with them. But on this occasion, uh, and this had never happened to me before, and I'd been on several intercepts prior to this, uh, they did lock me up with their anti uh, with their weapons, with their 30 millimeter, or I forget what the exact is, but the, their uh, their guns. They as I came up behind the aircraft. My raw, my radar homing and warning went off in my little headset, and my little scope lit up. So we were concerned scary. about that. It's a little bit scary, you know. I didn't want to get shot at, so we backed off. Uh, but we stayed with them, and then they went and they went on their merry way. So um, it just so happened that my backseater was a major, and it was last flight in the F-4 in in Keflavik. So uh, that's kind of a big occasion, you know, where they sh shoot the water and do stuff like that. Um, so we taxied in to the alert facility and we shut down our engines and he gets out first and everybody's clapping and cheering and they pop open a bottle of champagne and hand it to him and so and so he's getting all the glory and I, I kind of sauntered out a little bit after him, you know, climbed down, the cockpit's pretty high and the crew chief has a funny look and he's looking at me and he looks at the airplane, looks at me, looks at the airplane and I look and my left forward missile was missing. So what we carried, we carried four AIM-7 air, uh, their radar guided missiles. And uh, we have two on each side along the fuselage. And my left forward one was gone. So the immediate conclusion they came to was that I had fired it. I was going to say, you shot it. Yeah. <laughs> but what happened? Yeah. Well, you know, my boss came up and he said, what happened? And I said, I don't know, it, it must have just fallen off. <laughs> I didn't push that button. <laughs> so it just popped, just blew. Remember the, remember the space story? Champagne. It just blew. You, know? <laughs> you didn't get the champagne reception. Well, not right away. <laughs> 
So it took a while. They had to make, do an investigation, and they were able to figure out within not too long, you know, within 30 minutes or so, that it had not fired off. It had indeed yeah. fallen off, wow. you know, so I didn't get in trouble. And uh, probably not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If we were just sitting there and it fell off, maybe, but um, yeah, the, not so much. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, then the concern just became, well, where did it fall off? Yeah. yeah. In the ocean or over the land? Yeah. And I'm not sure if we ever uh, spoke to the Icelandic authorities about it. They did do a pretty good maybe look see. Like, maybe it's like a barrier reef now. <laughs> yeah. Right. It probably is. It's a nice species. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, well, that's my. You're fighting with bears and badgers and. Bisons. Bison. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody sent me a really interesting thing on the internet recently. It was another flight attendant, and um, I guess it was a blog post, but they were talking about how. I don't know if they were talking about my airline, but the odds are the same. My airline just hired 400 flight attendants. And guess how many applications they got? 50,000. 50,000 applications for 400 jobs. So in this internet blog post, this flight attendant was saying, it's easier. Your odds are better. The numbers are better for you to get into Harvard <laughs> than to become a flight attendant. So um, I'm not complaining about anything because I'd have a hard time getting into Harvard. <laughs> Really, I'm really glad I'm not applying uh, with those types of odds. 50,000 applications for 400 jobs. Wow. I was on a DC-9, and I was getting tired. Of, on the DC-9, it's so crowded. Yeah. And people were coming on, and I was getting hit by backpacks and, yeah. and things. And I was getting kind of tired of getting hit by these backpacks. So I just, I just pushed this guy. You did. I pushed him. And uh, he turns around, and it was Harry Connick Jr. Oh, you pushed Harry Connick Jr.? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, did you just push me? And I said, no, no, you, you uh, bounced off that cockpit door. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. Was he nice after He that? was really nice. He laughed. I bet you don't push many celebrities. Uh, not anymore. Have you ever again? No. <laughs> just flight attendants. <laughs> no, no, not even. <laughs> so I was talking to one of my sisters recently and she said how come you never tell the stories that make you look bad on the podcast and I'm thinking I, I do and then she reminded me of a few <laughs> stories that she loves <laughs> because <laughs> I did really stupid things um, we had a ping pong table at one point when we were growing up and I was kind of good at ping pong. And I think I had just beaten her in a game of ping pong. So I was fanning myself with the ping pong paddle. Like, you know, I'm so good at ping pong. Look at me. I'm fanning myself. And just then I smacked myself in the face with the paddle. <laughs> so as I was acting pompous with the ping pong paddle, I smacked myself right across the face. She loves that one. And the other one she loves is one time... My mother, my sister, and I were shopping for shoes. At, uh, it, it was either Payless or one of those type shoe stores where there are you know, a whole bunch of boxes and you go around and just try the things on yourself. You don't have to ask anybody to go get them. You know, a low-cost shoe store. I was trying on shoes and I guess 
I wasn't paying attention and I stuck my shoes back into one of the boxes, you know, along the wall, kept going around trying on shoes and then I couldn't find my shoes. <laughs> the, we had to go around, we had to scour the stores looking for the shoes that I had worn in there because they were now lost in a sea of new shoes. She loves that one. Oh, uh, <laughs> walked into a uh, gentleman had an accident, went to the emergency room. Uh, as next of kin, his wife showed up as well as his girlfriend. Oh. Made for an interesting conversation. Uh, was it heated? Um, or were there tears? It was difficult. <laughs> do you just have to remain calm in that situation, or what do you do? Uh, tried to keep him separated. I think he was better off with the accident. <laughs> Why were they both there? Well, hypothetically, probably the police called the wife, and he probably called the girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) So back in the day, we used to serve in coach this light breakfast snack, and it was like a bagel and cream cheese, and it was shrink-wrapped onto this little plastic plate. A unknowledgeable passenger... (laughs) (laughs) trying to be PC there, an unknowledgeable passenger complained to one of the flight attendants, and they were like, "Um, my donut is stale. It's all hard. Look at, feel how hard this donut is. And she's like, "Uh, it's not a donut. It's a bagel. And the person was like, yeah, but my donut's stale. Hey, um, I got married at 49, thinking I would never get married, you know, so I did. And I married a pilot, and we got married on a layover, so to speak, in um, Maui. And I was just on top of the world. And after seven days, we're coming home. My husband's flying the flight. I'm sitting in the back. He comes back before takeoff and recognizes the guy sitting next to me, you know. And I don't know who the guy next to me is. I know he works for... So I'm on top of the world. I go on and on about my life. I talk about how I have six motorcycles, how I ride motorcycles. I have six dogs. I live on top of a mountain. I got everything going on. I was bragging. Yeah, I was bragging, going on and on about myself. And I pictured this guy, this pilot, I pictured his wife at home with her bunny slippers on, you know, kicked back. So I I was bragging. I was bragging. So I just lean over after about 30 minutes of going on and on, and I say, now what does your wife do? And I did, I said, what does your little wife do? And she, he said, she's an astronaut. (laughs) She was Captain Eileen Wright, I think is her name, and she's Captain of the Space Shuttle at the time. So it was like... The ego, you know, it was good for me. Yeah. I just screamed out Jack Daniels, and the flight attendants immediately brought me a drink. And then uh, I just had an ego check there. And that was it. A bubble burst. It was a big bubble burst, to say the <laughs> least. Well, I'm about to go on a little trip. I'm going to the Caribbean. Uh, I'm excited. Hopefully, next episode, there'll be some good stories from there. Who knows? <laughs> 
I'm always hoping for stories. Hoping something goes a little crazy so I could talk about it on the podcast. And if you would like to support the podcast, if you like the show, uh, you could do me a huge favor by just going to my website before you're going to buy something on Amazon. Because if you click through my website, bettingthesky.com, I get a little percentage. It doesn't cost you anymore. And you support the show. It's kind of like good all around. Okay, so you're a pilot. Yes, and I was based in Portland, Oregon on the L-1011, and we flew to Narita and Seoul and Taipei and Bangkok. That's what we did. That's nice. That's all we did. <laughs> but one of my uh, friends, captain out there, I was a co-pilot. Um, I remember he was at my wedding. He drove an old 69 Oldsmobile, and uh, he had a house full of kids and a wife. Well, unbeknownst to his wife, he also had a Korean mistress. Oh. It's easier to keep that because uh, of the distance. Yes, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, yeah. you go on seven-day trips yeah. and stuff like that. So, But anyway, he's in his late 50s, and he has a heart attack. Oh. And so he's on his supposed deathbed in the hospital with the wife, and the Korean girlfriend shows up. Yeah. So the wife said I'm going to divorce you and you know, that's the, she walked out the room and she indeed as he was dying him. yes <laughs> well he, he recovered he recovered and much to his credit he did marry the he Korean did. girlfriend oh, yes. oh there you go yeah. I shouldn't say that that'd be sort of ethnic well it's just sort of a common occurrence that the gals in certain countries over there were always on the lookout yes. for a guy to grab and before you knew it they were married their whole family was in the U.S. and they were U.S. citizens. Yeah, so you yeah. see that that happened quite often. Worked out for her. It worked out for her. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been a flight attendant for a long time. And one of the things about being a flight attendant is you see a lot of people pass out. <laughs> I think more than most jobs. I think it's safe to say we see more people pass out than in most jobs. So you, you get to know the look and... You can just tell when somebody's going down. <laughs> it's a weird thing. Anyway, I'm walking home. I had been walking at the beach. I had a backpack on. Um, and I was about half a block from an old, I guess I can say, old man on a bike. And I could see him sort of look like he was weaving on the bike. And I thought, oh, he's going down. This is before he's still on the bike. And I'm thinking, oh, so I already had my backpack almost off getting my phone out because I'm thinking he's 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 gonna fall I'm still not anywhere near him so sure enough he falls off the bike and hits his head on a tree and is like bleeding out his ear luckily uh another couple was closer to him and they got to him before I did and were already kind of like you know asking him if he was okay and I already had the phone out and, and they're they're like should we call 911 I'm like oh yeah you know I mean he's bleeding out of out, out of his ear um and so I called 911 and uh, it was just sort of, he ended up, you know, they, they took good care of him. Um, I asked him what year it was and he was like, um, 1913. <laughs> it's not funny. I mean, he was 84. Got to give him credit for biking. But it's so nice to live in a society where there's so many, you know, contingencies ready for something that happened because literally... It was before he even fell off the bike, before I had my phone out to call 911, but 
what, but the time from when he was on the bike until there was medical attention there wasn't even five minutes. I mean, that's pretty darn good, you know? <laughs> it's just nice to have society that, that just works so well. And it is weird being in a job where, you know, you can tell, ooh, he's going down. Welcome to Jack McHale, who is the former president and CEO of Orbis, Orbis, and who is now the MD10 program director. Jack, can you tell us a little bit about what Orbis, Orbis does? Preventing and treating global blindness through capacity building. In the developed world, uh, ophthalmologists have the latest techniques, the latest equipment. Unfortunately, there's 39 million blind people in the world, and... Uh, 90% of them live in the developing world, and 80% of those don't have to be blind. So there's almost 32 million people around the globe that don't have to be blind if they had access to or could afford eye care. And Orbis is trying to attack this travesty. We do it by building capacity. We have a flying eye hospital that flies around the world uh, to Africa, Asia, uh, Middle East, what we do is we have a two to three week mission in country. We have volunteer faculty from the US, the UK, India, China, who go on these missions, give up a week or two of their time to train local surgeons and medical personnel on the treatment of various eye disease to help eradicate this terrible blight of global blindness. Now, the, the, the flying hospital is very novel. You started off with, many years ago with a DC-8. Yes, sir. And now you're using an MD-10. Well, we started with a DC-8 that was donated by United. And the airplane went in service in 1982. For 10 years, the DC-8 flew around the world uh, transferring these skills. Uh, in the late 80s, the airplane was slightly long in the tooth. And, and quite frankly, the fuselage diameter didn't lend itself to a uh, hospital environment because essentially what we have since we're a capacity building and training organization the front of the airplane is actually a classroom the center of the airplane is an operating theater with a recovery room the DC-8 was so narrow you had to actually leave through the front left number two door to the number four aft door to go from one end to the other so in, in the late 80s understanding that they'd have to sunset this DC-8 Orbis reached out to Fred Smith at FedEx and said, gee, you're the, one of the largest DC-10 operators in the world. We are doctors and surgeons and philanthropists. We don't have any expertise in buying airplanes. Could you source and do the contract for a new flying eye hospital platform? So the FedEx team actually sourced the airplane, did the contract, and the airplane went into MOD in 1989 and came out in 1992 as the current flying eye hospital. This is a completely outfitted surgical suite. <clears throat> we, behind that we have what's called substerile and then a recovery room, all housed in the fuselage of the DC-10. It's really a remarkable machine and quite an accomplishment when you try and adhere to and meld and satisfy the requirements of the Joint Commission, JCO for medical and the FAA. So when you fly into these, these out-of-the-way places, with a DC-10, it's going to be quite hard to find a runway to handle it, sure. Well, with <clears throat> um, well, the DC-10, our airplane's relatively light because we don't have 345 seats. Uh, we do have some fairly heavy medical equipment. The airplane's self-sustaining, so we have 
generators and AC units that we carry in the belly to be self-sufficient when we go into remote locations. But by virtue of the size of the airplane, they're not super remote. I mean, we don't... Let's talk about the airplane for a little bit. Who crews the airplane? FedEx pilots. Well, we have a, a asterisk. Uh, when, it st when August started, it was the United DCA. Uh, United pilots volunteered. So they set the precedent. So the, the missions that were flown on the original Flying Eye Hospital DCA were all flown by United volunteer pilots who gave up their time, took vacation, flew to these less than exotic destinations to give something back. Uh, when we, uh, when the DC-10 came on board, there were three major DC-10 carriers in the States, United, American, and FedEx. <coughs> United and, <coughs> United was sunsetting their fleet of DC-10s, migrating it, ironically, to FedEx. So for a period of time, there was a, a, a nice healthy mix of United pilots and FedEx pilots. And then as United shed the airplanes and the pilot base shrunk, uh, the United pilots became uh, retired pilots, not the line pilots, with FedEx management line pilots. And I think we have nine remaining United pilot, retired pilots, all these many years later, uh, augmenting the FedEx volunteer pilots. When you fly out there, you take mechanics with you? We have two mechanics fly on the airplane. They're part of the staff. We have 22 people on the airplane. So we rely on the aviation. FedEx is phenomenal. FedEx gives us technical engineering support, parts. They pay for the C-check. They've actually donated. We're going to sunset uh, the current Flying Eye Hospital, the DC-10, because to continue the pilot story, so United eventually got out of the 10 business, retired United pilots, augmented FedEx. FedEx is now out of the DC-10 business. So our Flying Eye Hospital is an orphan. All of the FedEx pilots are now becoming MD-10, MD-11 pilots. So FedEx, in uh, a very generous mode, donated an MD-10 to Orbis for the new Flying Eye Hospital. It's an MD-10 Series 30. It has a large cargo door. It's uh, a lot younger than the current Flying Eye Hospital, which was the second one ever built. It's a Series 30, not a Series 10, so we can fly over tech stops that we have to fly with the current airplane. So it saves us time and fuel. And, uh, so now the challenge is to take a FedEx freighter with a wonderful cockpit and the ability to draw on their crew base and their technical expertise and build a hospital in it and a classroom and a freighter. When will the MD-10 flying hospital be ready, do you think? In the next year. And you'll continue to do the good work. Yeah, for 20 more. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. That's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel the world together. Thanks. Bye.
Queen. She's wearing high heel shoes. 